0: winning cures everything now for your hosts gary and chris
1: welcome in winning cures everything it is the monday june 21st edition of the show i'm gary I'm Chris. And goodness gracious, happy, at this point, happy belated Father's Day to all the dads out there. I know we have a lot that listen. Chris, happy Father's Day to you.
0: Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You uh, you got me a gift. That was nice. A little cameo. Action.
1: <laughs> it was, I, I had never seen him on there before. For those that don't know, obviously, uh, uh, Chris, uh, this morning woke up to a text message from me that was a video from T-Bob Bear. So, yeah. <laughs> who, anybody that doesn't know him from the from the LSU scene, he's on ESPN uh, in Baton Rouge, ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge, and he does the uh, the Hold That Podcast podcast for The Athletic. It's the LSU podcast. That's right. So, very, uh, he's a lot of fun. He is a uh,
0: super entertaining guy.
1: Yes, very much big, so. And,
0: big Tiger fan.
1: Hopefully we can get him on the show.
0: Eventually. One day that would be amazing. That would be that would be fun to to interview him. Talk. You to
1: him. have got that right. So uh, let me tell you. I I told you I was going to tell you off camera. I'm going to tell you on the podcast. I was this close to financial ruin on on Thursday slash Friday. Okay. So here is what happened to my weekend. Thursday, I get home and I am starting to realize mm, it's a little. It's a little warmer in this house than it should be, right? I just had my outdoor downstairs air conditioning unit replaced. That was about 2400 bucks, About a month and a half ago, I guess, roundabout. So, right before yeah. I went back to, uh, to campus pretty regularly. So, that was like the end of April. Went ahead and paid that, and I, I had that no problem. I'm in the best financial position of my life because I could literally just hand over twenty four hundred dollars and still have money, plenty of money yeah. left over. This is
0: what Gary. When you're almost forty, you should be at this yes. point. If right. you're almost forty years old and you don't have a couple of grand for emergency purchases, we got to have a talk. Yes. you got to figure. You, you got to start making some different <laughs> life decisions.
1: So I am. I am now in a in a good position, right? I still had yeah. plenty left over after that. No big deal. Um, but I noticed that the house is. A little warmer than it's supposed to be. I go upstairs, you know, the sun's out and, and we don't have as many trees around anymore. So it's, the sun just kind of beats on that upstairs room. And it was like 82 and the air was set on 73 up there. And I'm going, this is not the way it's supposed to be. So I call my HVAC guy and I'm like, Hey, this is what's going on. He said, okay, what is going on upstairs? And I explained my wife has left uh, the attic door open all day. She's been doing cleaning and whatnot that we're, we're doing like our summer cleaning cleaning out the attic and all that kind of mess and had left it open for hours on end right he said yeah you can't do that because you've got a really old unit i don't know what's going on with it so he calls my wife to go through a few things he calls me back he's like you may need a new unit just to let you know and he said "That's probably, upstairs." yeah for upstairs okay and he said probably gonna cost about five to six grand and i said
0: Hey, why is the upstairs unit more than the low downstairs unit?
1: Uh, because downstairs all I had to do was replace the outdoor unit. With this one, that the upstairs unit is like 27 years old, something like that, and it's all patchwork, it's a piece of crap, it's whatever, but I would have to replace the coal, I would have to replace uh, the whole upstairs part, the downstairs part, everything.
0: So you got to replace the furnace everything. Yes, the whole Okay, I got back. you. I've seen that upstairs unit. You're right. I know yes. what you're talking about. So yeah.
1: So, I'm like, okay, like I had I've got some money.
0: i to say would 5 grand this is a very personal question by the way. Would five, 5 grand put you in financial ruin?
1: It w- not not ruin. I was exaggerating slightly. I mean, i say
0: because if it was, we could pass a plate. We could help you on yes. that. Now 5 yes. then you and I could have a conversation <laughs> about Gary, you're almost 40. If you don't have a couple of months worth of all your bills set aside, we got to figure yes. something out.
1: Well, that's see that's the thing. Like I'm Shit set aside. Shit happens when you own a house. Yes, I'm set aside. I we would have been able to make it. That's, that's fine. But hold on. I'm not I'm not done with that part of the story yet. Okay. All right. Friday evening, I'm already kind of like, eh, I really don't want to have to spend this money if we don't have to because I've got Disney coming up. I've got uh, a, a beach vacation coming up. Like all these different things, right? That's right. So, and my daughter is a junior in high school. Fun stuff
0: that you have we, worked hard to try yes. to get to. Yes. So and it's, I could, it's not like you can't cancel a trip or a vacation, exactly. but still, you've earned that shit, man.
1: 100% right, especially after this past year. So yes. all of that's going on. And then on Friday, I take my wife's van to uh so she needs me to go drop off some furniture at one of her friend's houses. And her boyfriend and I take this furniture, left the car running because it's hot as hell outside. So right. you know, we figure we'll just take this thing upstairs, we'll come back out, and then we run over to the gas station. No big deal, we're going in to get a 12 pack of beer. So he he's getting his beer, I'm getting my beer and then we're going to come back to the house and hang out for a little while. Come outside to the van and it will not crank. I just paid this van off on Thursday and I have been making like massive payments. Yep. On I've thing. done the same thing. I'm so doing the same trying thing. to get it paid off so I have paid it off two and a half years early, which is really good. Um but I've been putting a lot into that to get the interest rate out of here. I don't want that. I just want the van, right? Sure. So this is the one that my wife drives all the time, whatever. And immediately I'm thinking, okay, so we, we try and jump it multiple times. It will not jump start. I cannot figure out. So it it finally cranked. And then after about five seconds, it died. It died. So I'm thinking, okay, it's alternator starter, say battery, something else is wrong. I don't know what's going on, yeah. but I just paid it off and something's up. And I call a couple of buddies. And they're like, man, it, it could be anything. You might be looking at a couple grand, and I'm going, okay, six thousand for an air conditioner, two thousand for a van that I just paid off. What the hell is going to happen next? Like, what? Is, you know, I'm going.
0: I've this been saving is, this all is this part money. This of being an adult, a grown up. And you uh, got stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was no. it was awful. So, but then I get I get uh, I go on Saturday morning, and my wife is having a yard sale. I had to run over to the gas station early because we had to leave the van there overnight. And it's right down the street from there. It's like less than right. a mile from yeah. the house. So I run over there and hook up my my battery, like portable jump starter, and I'm able to get the damn van cranked because I, I've got everything turned California. off. California, there we go. Yes. Every, I finally get it cranked uh, on like the third try, and it keeps running. So I yeah. drive it back to the house and then I just leave it running,
0: That's and right.
1: I leave it running for like 45 minutes, and I call a couple of auto places around. They'll check it out. They'll do whatever. Take it over to Gateway, over in Olive Branch, Mississippi, mm-hmm. and about two hours later, they call me back and they tell me, "Hey, uh, it was a bad battery connector, like the wire to the battery That's was right. bad, and there was a bad cell in the battery, which was a like, easy It was fix. just a shit storm. Like yeah, yeah. So easy fix, you know, two hundred fifty bucks or whatever. How about to say a couple
0: hundred bucks yep. better than a couple grand?
1: You got that right. So I got that back, and then. My HVAC guy calls me while I'm at the uh, uh, that Gateway place, and he says, "Hey, had an emergency call out in your area. Stop by your house. Saw your wife. Uh, the part to fix this is gonna cost about 130 bucks."
0: Hey, look at I you! Look, you're making money. <laughs> I you're said, making it. money. Oh my god! So now, go no know, knowing, knowing, knowing the problem with the HVAC, this is one of those grown-up situations where we got to start putting. Oh yeah. As much aside because it's not if it's, it's when. Yes. He band that that problem. All right. At <laughs> yes. some point in time, we're gonna need to replace that HVAC. Yes. so no, let's, we we let's have be already prepared. had that
1: on the budget. We have got a go. bucket for it in our budget to put towards that. We did not have six thousand dollars in that thing, though. We are you know, we're working but, on that.
0: Put some of that WCE but, money in there. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. That that non-existent twenty bucks yes. a month. Or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, right. We, that's we, right. We, okay. For those that are listening, we do fine, and we no, do we're fine. We're good. But uh, but yeah, that's it, frust-
0: it's fr- it's frustrating. Oh. It's frustrating. So I have a different problem. If we're gonna bitch uh, yeah, and moan no, about our ahead. problems for a little while before we get into some sports, it's I have a different Day. problem. So <laughs> I. Have a brand new truck. I've never bought a brand new truck. Now, I, I say brand new, I bought it in December of 2019 and it was a 2019. It was a brand new truck. I've never bought a brand new vehicle before in my life. Now, I am fortunate as of uh probably February of last year, I paid that Joker off. All right, yep. I got it paid off in like over a little over a year. Okay. Um, I don't I don't like bills if I cannot have them. Basically, it, I got a house sense. note. Yeah, and that's it. Um, So very fortunate for that driving around, but it's 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 a work truck. I definitely take care of it. I don't know if you people know how engineer floors go down, but we use what's called a urethane glue, very strong, good glue. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, The there's a glue shortage in the country. Long story short, uh, we had to buy a new glue that we've never bought before. It is a German-made glue, very, very good glue. The glue's great, we have no problems with the glue. The plastic, it's it's an acrylic urethane, so it's not a regular urethane, comes in a metal can, it's a plastic can. The plastic around this glue, now I've been driving around for, I don't know, I've been doing this job for six years, glue buckets sliding around the back of trucks forever, never have one busted open in my life. The plastic around this glue is thinner than water bottle plastic. And I was driving around for one day with this one bucket in the back of my truck, and it busted open. And as I'm driving down highways, it's slung all over, all over the back the of bed, the bed of my truck. It's all over <laughs> the body. It's all over everything. Now let me tell you. Let me tell you where. A little bit of good grace has fallen on me. Now, this is strictly cosmetic, but you're talking to a guy that has taken care of this thing so well, and now it looks like a piece of shit that nobody's taking care of because there's literally glue slung everywhere and it's not coming off now good friends with a guy who owns a body shop he owes me a pretty big favor i did a shower in his house he didn't have the money i said just get me when you can thank god he hadn't paid me yet because now we're gonna do a little horse trade hey you're gonna fix this truck and so <laughs> he showed me how he can get it off the paint pretty easily he's gonna pay one of the guys his body shop to try to but the nice thing about my truck is is the truck bed all the parts to it bolt down it's not like yeah. a spray liner um and so he's going to unbolt all of the liner that has the glue all over it. And he's just going to blast it all off. And he's going to take some engine paint, paint it. I said, I don't, I don't need it to look cherry. I don't need it to look brand new. Probably going to have to replace my bumper. Probably going to have to replace all the lenses for lights and stuff in the truck, because those are not coming out. I mean, it's just not. Oh, so insane. I got a couple of thousand dollars. I'm about to drop, just trying to make my truck look like not a piece of shit because today, it looks like a piece of shit. I was devastated last week. I'm talking oh, yeah. in tears. First time in my life, I got something nice. And not only did I get something nice and new, but I actually paid for it like almost immediately. Yeah. And
1: and took care of it. And like, took
0: care of it. And I was I was pretty upset. a pretty upset. So needless to say, the people that sell that glue, I went to their place. I gave them a massive cussing. Yeah. <laughs> felt better about myself after that called him and apologized i know the people that work at that poor warehouse had nothing to do with this but the folks in germany i can't get on a phone so the they were. you know what they told me because I, I asked him i said why in the hell are you using such cheap plastic on this and he says well they're very environmentally conscious and so <laughs> i thought you know we're this is made to hold like glue that Seizes up like concrete, right? Like this is not you know a bucket of water that you can just put cheap ass plastic in.
1: Yeah, forget we're not carrying apple juice,
0: man. We're carrying like heart. Like if it breaks, it destroys everything it touches.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You can't save a couple of nickels on saving plastic for this. Oh, I was was furious. Anyway, we both we both had. Mine are very much like rich middle class folk problems all right
1: yeah and and don't get me wrong mine like oh no i don't know we still working like bl- we still had bl- another bl- car
0: good news for you fine but the scary part of yours no that's that's shit you got to deal with oh, it yeah. sucks mine is just it just my truck looks like a piece of shit right now it looks like somebody who drives a junker that does not care or take care of their stuff and, and that and it's you, all it's all a perception problem yeah, and well, it really no, no, bothers me
1: you it like it's, it's pretty important to show up and look nice in front of new clients.
0: Well, I, I, mean, I, sense, I have right? the fortunate enough to where I don't have a lot of new clients, I just work with builders and every builder that sees it, looks at it and is like, oh, they all know exactly what happened when they see it because they know what I do for a living. And they yeah. all have looked at it and was like, oh, my God. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it right now.
1: Uh, that is too good. Now that we've
0: bitched about our day, it's happy Father's good.
1: Day. Well, we're only 14 minutes into it, but then, hey, we, we got to get a little dad talk out of the way, and I'm totally fine with that. Today's show is a little longer than usual. We do have an interview that uh, that I was able to get done with Parker Fleming. Uh, he has uh, He's at StatsAwar on Twitter. He is awesome. College football analytics guy. Super smart. He's an academic. He's a professor. He's all these different things, uh, and I got to ask him some you know, really kind of detailed, but detailed questions, but made him dumb them down to my level, right? And my level is, I think, what the majority of our listeners' level is. So, you know, hopefully you guys will appreciate that. We'll have that at the end of the show. Um, we are going to start off today by talking about Mark Emmert, who is one of Chris's favorite people.
0: Oh, I hate
1: this guy the president of the NCAA. Here is the headline. NCAA President Mark Emmert tells schools to act on name image likeness, or he will. Which is really funny because he's had numerous opportunities to do this, and he has not done it. Uh, NCAA President Mark Emmert told the organization's more than 1,100 member schools Friday that he will seek temporary rules as early as July to ensure all athletes can be compensated for their celebrity with a host of state laws looming and congressional efforts seemingly stalled, in a memo obtained by the AP, Emmert urged members to pass legislation that would make it permissible for the first time for college athletes to earn money off their names, images, and likenesses. Okay, I have a question. Or, yeah, go I have ahead. A question.
0: Thoughts? You don't need legislation for this. If Mark Emmert gives you the blessing for schools to do this, why do you need a state legislation for this?
1: So, here is... Um,
0: Can somebody explain that?
1: No, no, no. So, so here's what ended up happening. Uh, the NCAA Division I Council meets Tuesday and Wednesday and could act on an NIL proposal that was expected to be voted on back in January. Uh, it says, instead, Emmert encouraged membership at that time back in January. And you remember this. We talked about yep. this at the beginning of the year. Uh, he encouraged the membership to move forward on... No, 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 sorry. He asked them to put a, uh, a hold on the vote. This was after the Justice Department notified the NCAA that its proposed rule changes could violate antitrust law. Now, how it could violate antitrust law, I don't know. I'm not that in, in the weeds on this.
0: Uh, you're still going to answer my question. Why do we need a law for schools to be allowed to pay these kids. Not the schools, for them to go get money on their own.
1: So that's what I'm saying is the Justice Department notified the NCAA back in January that its proposed rule changes regarding NIL could violate antitrust laws. I don't understand how that, the NIL stuff could violate antitrust well we don't know what
0: the we don't know what the ncaa's proposed rule for nil was though it, I'm it could guess. It, it, it absolutely yeah. could have if it restricted certain things if it put caps on how much they can make if it if it said they were going to take a cut you don't know what it said here's the deal mark emmert just gave his blessing pay the kids yes. however you see fit as long as the money doesn't come from the schools Anybody can pay them. Go get your sponsorship. If your state's passed the legislature, great. If it hadn't, who cares? Why do you need state legislator? If you're in the state of Louisiana and they haven't passed legislation yet, why can T-Bob not go out and say, my radio station is going to pay you to advertise and we're going to bring a player on a week and we're going to give them a thousand bucks a week every time we bring a player on? What What's stopping them? There's, the, the only thing that was ever stopping them previously – was the NCAA. Right? Right. No. Now there's nothing stopping them. You don't need legislation. You just need the grace of his highness to say I'm not. But the problem is, is we need the NCAA to put this rule in writing because Mark Emmert, this is one of those situations where I'm going to tell you it's okay to do. But then if I want to pick and choose who I'm going to go after. Now, here's my other question. Are we going to Arizona. Arizona has a lot of violations for where kids got paid by Adidas, right? Yeah. Okay. They didn't get paid by the school. They got paid by Adidas. That all happened. You're in trouble for that, or are you not now? Because now it's illegally okay for Adidas to pay you. That
1: is. That is very interesting. I had not thought of it, that.
0: It's the same argument that people make for legalizing marijuana. If I make marijuana legalized and you're in jail for only marijuana and nothing else, are you going to be able just, to get out? Do you just get out of jail because you really didn't break a rule?
1: I, I would say so. I mean, yeah. Here, here's hey what yo. Emmert wrote in that in that uh, uh, memo, by the way. Emmert wrote yep. that if NCAA rules uh, are not in place by July, he will take action. He said, I have directed my staff to create proposals. To is
0: this that a end. threat? Is that a threat? Please don't make me work. Please, guys, y'all figure this out on your own because I'm so bad at it. I don't want to mess this up. Yeah, He's much. threatening them to not let him do this.
1: He said, I've directed my staff to create proposals to this end. We will provide more details next week as this approach is reviewed by the NCAA Board of Governors and the divisional governance bodies.
0: I'd start paying kids tomorrow. Yes. I'd start paying them tomorrow. I'd start going out and getting, I'd have these schools going out and getting these kids sponsorships tomorrow. And if anybody from the NCA called me, I'd hold up this note from Mark Emmert and said, boom, this is my, this, this is Ron Swanson handing hand you a piece of paper that says I can do what I want. Yes. Okay. This is handing, <laughs> this is handing somebody the bill of rights. All right. This is my good graces. It's funny that Mark Emmert is, if you, don't do it i will that's your job why haven't you just done it already yes this is what
1: we wanted from the very beginning with the ncaa like do your job come up with some kind of a rule here now obviously the ncaa wants to uh put some kind of limits on this as to who that's can the antitrust part right and if that's, they do that, that's, that's, that's why it's
0: gonna get antitrust is because you can't tell uh you know one of the big stars okay that that they have a cap on what they can make, no, 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 that's that's antitrust violation. That's antitrust laws. You got it. You you can't say that you can't make more than the next guy. If it's not a unionized agreement, then you can't put rules and stipulations on things like that. You're not allowed to do that. That those are. And I, I'm going to tell you the reason the federal government said if you pass this law, it's going to be an antitrust problem is because they were trying to do shit like that. Just get out of the way and let sponsorships pay these kids for their name, image and likeness. Schools can still go get their money. Sponsors can go get these kids can go get their money and we're all going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. And let me tell you this, the athletic directors and school presidents are worried that they're not going to get enough money because all the money is going to go to the the directly to the kids. That's just not so there's going to be some people that are going to want the schools as a whole, as a sponsorship. They want to be on the billboard. They want to be the face of it because that sponsorship lasts forever. This kid is only going to, if you sponsor a basketball kid, he's going to be there for nine months. Congratulations. What's your money getting you? If I write a check to the school, it's going to be there all year. And that's, that, that's the reason. Also, it's still a risky thing to hand t- to let your business have the face of an individual, especially when that individual is eighteen to twenty-one. Because if you give it to the school, the chances of the school having a Penn State problem or a Baylor problem that really gives you a you know a bad look uh, as a sponsor, and you don't want your name associated with it, are slim the chances of handing that money to an 18 year old. And then a couple of weeks later or months later, you know, he just didn't appear for you. And then he's arrested for something horrible or gotten in some trouble. And now you look bad by retrospect. This is, people are not going to stop giving to the schools. It's going to be a safer get. Yes.
1: A hundred percent. No, you're, you're dead on. Uh, I'm, I'm curious how this is all going to go. I think next week I'm gonna going to tell you to be this. If I was Coach O,
0: I'd start. I'd start going around LSU Baton Rouge right now, the state of Louisiana right now, and I'd start selling advertisings for these kids. Tomorrow, I'd yes. start doing it first thing Monday morning. I'm on the horn, and we're getting these guys paid. We're getting these guys sponsor, uh, uh, sponsorships, yeah. and and I am, and, and I'm just saying. We don't need state legislature. We don't need the government getting involved. We, no. if you, if you own a car dealership and you want, you know, Stingley to come by, Stingley gonna charge twenty five thousand dollars. All right. Yeah. Now, if you want one of these offensive linemen to come by, you might get the whole offensive line for ten. You know, yeah. everybody gets to negotiate their own price now.
1: I like it. I like it. Speaking of antitrust, interesting comments from the outgoing Pac twelve commissioner Larry Scott. He had a press conference, uh, I guess it was late Friday afternoon, maybe on Saturday. I can't even remember when it was. Um, He came out and said that the CFP should guarantee each Power 5 conference champion a spot in a potential 12-team playoff format. Um, He called them the uh, Autonomy 5, which is what the CFP called them initially. It was the group of... Uh, 80s or a group of uh, commissioners that got together and actually moved into this four-team format that we are currently in. But notice when they created that four-team format, they didn't say that they had to be a Power 5 champion. They didn't say that they had to be da-da-da-da-da. It was whoever the best four teams are. And I think that there was a reason behind that. And the reason why they did it this go-round is because you can't say that these five deserve to be in and those five don't. You can't do that. However, Larry Scott came out and was like, we think the Power Five champions should all be in. Doesn't matter where they're ranked or whatever. We think they should all be in. Now, Mike Oresco came out. He is the uh, commissioner for the AAC, and he said that that would be an enormous step in the wrong direction. Yep. I I think all of this is for nothing. He said that the Pac-12... Uh, supports the expansion of the CFP and believes that the Autonomy 5 champions should annually qualify for the CFP. Uh, Oresco said, I didn't sense any other traction for it. That would be an enormous step in the wrong direction from the working group's proposal as far as I'm concerned. The top six conferences without favor is merit-based. It is fair. It does not reward privilege for privilege's sake. Bam. I, yeah, 100%. Like, this is, you cannot say, like, it's, a, the reason we're moving to 12 is because of antitrust talk.
0: Yeah. Period. This is Larry Scott. Dan Wetzel said it best on Twitter this weekend. And I can't wait for the Yahoo podcast because he's going to say it again in better terms. Um, This is Larry Scott. This is the Pac 12 being afraid that they're going to finish two seats below two group of five champions. Yes. Like not just one group of five champions going to finish higher than them, the chances of two of them are going to finish because last year both Coastal would have finished higher than them and Cincinnati would have finished higher than them and they don't want that embarrassment.
1: So uh the SBR uh, college football show we did talk about this at one point That's and right. uh and yeah like we we agree 100% on this because well, I, like, go
0: ahead good. Ahead. Scott Larry Scott's moving on from this job correct?
1: Yes. Like he's I, about I, they, to not AAC, be this person anymore. My, my biggest winner for the CFP was the Pac-12? AAC. Like
0: <laughs> yeah. at the oh, AAC, yeah.
1: because I think that they can overtake the Pac-12
0: well but I, they already have the only people that haven't recognized this are old blue hairs that are still doing rankings well, and those who have hoarded themselves well, out to the power five no,
1: I'm, I'm talking about from a from a financial perspective
0: well, that's fine you're you're right you're yeah. right yes because anyway neither here nor there this Scott's not about to be employed in this position anymore correct uh correct can we stop putting a microphone in front of him
1: uh we should because okay. it, like when it, he it when 1st. he
0: sends out a statement, can we take his blue check mark away and make sure that he's no different than all the other rum dums on on uh, Twitter? Uh,
1: we we should.
0: He's just he's just another fan that's saying random shit, but nobody takes him serious.
1: We are a week and a half away from uh, yeah. It's time for him, him to lose
0: on. his voice. Yeah. That's close enough. We don't need to hear from him anymore. Thanks, Larry Scott. You've done a terrible job.
1: Yes, yes, he has a hundred percent. Uh, let me do the uh, the rundown right quick. I did not do that at the beginning of the show. I don't, we
0: don't need a rundown. But, We're good. So let's keep going. No, no, no.
1: This is for the people that are first time listeners. We got to we got to whatever. com is the website. SBRpicks.com/ncaaf is our college football gambling content page. We do a college football show over there which I just referenced. We do a college football show over there every Wednesday. Go and check it out. Uh, we have a lot of fun. And, you know, obviously like the page, like the videos share them out, subscribe, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, the podcast, the schedule for this show, by the way, Tuesday afternoon live show, Monday podcast, Wednesday podcast, Friday podcast. So, jump on YouTube, subscribe, all that good stuff. Let's move to the NFL. And the Wednesday, hang on.
0: The Wednesday podcast is the Tuesday live show.
1: Yes, yes, 100%. So, you know,
0: you download the Wednesday, be on the list.
1: <laughs> if you were a part of the The live show on Tuesday. You don't have to listen to the Wednesday podcast, but you can still download it. The numbers help. The numbers help. Let's move to the NFL right quick. Did you see all the stuff about Cole Beasley? I did. So, I'm curious your thoughts here. uh, Because I do think that the COVID restrictions for the unvaccinated players are pretty intense. Um, The reason why the other guys have gotten vaccinated is so that the unvaccinated members of the, the franchise, the team, whatever, uh they're they're not going to infect those guys like you you've basically if you get what is it 75 percent of your team
0: then to, it's, i don't know what the nfl's rule is i know baseball is 85
1: so 85 percent, and that's herd immunity if, or whatever if, if
0: you get 85 they they greatly decrease the restrictions on the on the team
1: so i i do think it is a little bit ridiculous uh but I do think that it is the NFL's right to set whatever restrictions they want as far as their workplace environment goes. Right, so I, I'm curious. Cole Beasley said that he may retire over these restrictions. He said, "I will play for free this year to live life the way I've lived it from day one." Very, you know, outspoken. Does what he does. He is not vaccinated. He does not plan to be vaccinated. Um, he said, "I will be outside doing what I do. I'll be out in the public." If you're scared of me, then steer clear or get vaccinated. Point blank. Period. I may die of COVID, but I would rather die actually living. I don't play for the money. Yeah, But anymore. this is the problem.
0: Cole Beasley's not going to die of COVID. And he knows that. Yes, because he's young. He's in incredible health. He, he, like he's he's got a good strong immunity. He plays outside. He's he's he gets plenty of vitamin D. I'm sure he takes care of his body very yeah. well. He's not going to die of COVID. This is this is all ridiculous. So
1: here's my he, problem. He said, by the I, way, to end that last part that he said, he said, find me if you want. My way of living and my values are more important to me than a dollar.
0: So first things first, he's making an idle threat, or not necessarily an idle threat, an idle claim by saying, I'll play for free. You're not going to be able to play for free because that's not how the union works, okay? Yeah. You have a signed contract. They're not going to let you just throw away your contract in order to to exchange it to play for free, all right? So he knows that, so he knows he's going to get paid if he keeps to play. That, that's a little bit of a bullshit threat. We got to stop as a country. All right. I I got vaccinated I believe in the vaccine, I'm, I'm not afraid of it by any stretch, yeah. but I also wasn't afraid of COVID either. Like I I took all the precautions, I wore my mask, I did all the, I, I kept my distance, but I still went to work every day because I had to, I had to, I have this house, I have these family, I have these people that I have to take care of, and 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 I'm trying to save up for a life that we can live. Um. So I went to work every day, I did all the things that we were instructed to do, okay? I do believe in following the science, Here's where I have a problem, all right? Science for this has evolved greatly. There is a study. I talked about it very briefly on the last show. Now, I'm an idiot, okay? So I might be reading this study wrong, but there's a study that was done in Germany that says that if you caught COVID and you now have the antibodies, you actually have a better immunity towards covid than if you were vaccinated so you can't force people you have to start putting people who were who who have positive covid tests in the past lumped in with the vaccinated people we have to do that or we're not going to move forward anywhere okay if you're as a vaccine truther all right if you believe in the vaccine and you believe in trying to get us to a better place, that's a compromise you have to make. You, If you caught COVID and we know you had COVID at some point in time, then your immunity is just as strong and this study in Germany says it's actually stronger than, than if you got the vaccine, you have to lump those people in. They have to be counted. So you don't need 85% of the people who've had vac- who've had the vaccine. You need 85% of the people or whatever the percentage is to have either had the vaccine and or had COVID in the past. And that changes the game. That changes the numbers. All right. So you ha- this has to be a thing where we don't just all pick our aisle and say, I'm right wing. And I believe that I don't want any vaccine that was rushed through and all this stuff. And you're not pumping that into me. And I think this is all a hoax. And you can't just be, the only way to beat this is you have to put this needle in your arm and get this thing. Even if you've caught COVID, even if you're a child, even if you're not at risk in any way, shape, form, or fashion, that's just not smart. Neither one of those are right, okay? He is correct in the sense of he's saying these restrictions are ridiculous. Some of them are ridiculous. Some of them are super strict. Bill Belichick, an old man, he needs to be vaccinated, and he needs to be um, taking precautions and all the things that are put into place. But 80% of these young guys that are all super young, healthy dudes, if they choose not to, all the studies show that they're probably going to be fine, that they'll literally have to take a test to see if they have this thing or not. Yeah. All right. And if everybody who's at risk or who doesn't want to take a chance of getting COVID, gets vaccinated then the people that are young and healthy but catch it but don't know they have it they can't give it to other people because those other people are vaccinated and then once they catch it they can't get it again and their immune system is just like the vaccinated
1: a hundred
0: percent so all of these things are now this is this is my understanding of all the information that i've taken in and i know and i believe like i said we talked about last time I believe the truth is lying somewhere in the middle, and this is where I'm going to live somewhere in the middle. Okay, yeah. because I, I that study from Germany can't just be made up. All right, it can't just be fabricated. That's just not how scientific studies work. Well, that's, Why that's not it, the
1: only study that is that is seen. Oh, that? I'm
0: sure, I'm sure it's yeah. not. But the problem is, is I I won't I won't trust an American study because some right wing organization's going to do it and it's going to lean extremely right and therefore you can't trust the findings are some left wing organizations we don't have an organization in the middle that gives us information we just don't it doesn't exist yeah not anymore so we you used to. so you have to make up your mind you have to read basically both the the extreme informations and then you got to have to figure out all right what are, what is this one not telling me All right. Now, what is this one not telling me? All right. That's probably where the truth is, is the two things that they're both leaving out. You just kind of kind of put the puzzle together the best you can.
1: That's it. You and I both got vaccinated. Yes. But we also don't have a problem with anybody that has not been vaccinated because it's your own deal. Everybody do what you think is best. I hang out with
0: unvaccinated people all the time. And And it doesn't bother me because I've got it. they are vaccinated. I've got it. I'm not afraid (laughs) of them. I'm not afraid of them, I don't care. And if they kill over tomorrow, it's gonna suck and their families are gonna cry and be devastated. And that's part of it. Some of those folks are at risk and they need the vaccine and I've encouraged them to get it because they are high risk. Some of them have 0% body fat, they're in the best shape of their lives and they work outside all day long. And there's no doubt in my mind, based on the studies based on the statistics that we have from COVID going through this for a year and a half that if they caught it, they would never even know they caught it. They would have to take a test to find out they had it, yes. which means it doesn't matter. It's not affecting them. Okay. No, they'd be fine. They would be fine. So huh. I think, I think here's the problem that I've got. Okay. We have to stop this anti-vaxxer stuff. Okay. Yes. We have to stop it. But like, like, if you don't believe in the COVID vaccine, you have the right to not believe in it. But that doesn't mean you don't believe in the loop, uh, the, the, the vaccine for for polio, you know, yeah. like that doesn't is don't lump all these vaccinated people or anti-vaxxer people in in the same pool. OK, because those are two very different things. Here's what I want to tell the the super pro all of everybody has to be vaccinated, folks, is this. How do you feel about the chickenpox vaccine? If you caught chickenpox as a child, then you don't need the chickenpox vaccine, right? Because you can't get it again. But if you didn't get chickenpox as a a child, if you get it as an adult, it can really mess you up. So you should probably get the chickenpox vaccine, right? Yeah. If you had COVID, then you probably don't need the vaccine. If you haven't had it and you think you might be in any category of at risk, then go get it. How how can we not get on? The, I don't understand how we cannot get on that same page
1: because everything is politicized. Like I don't know is, when
0: so. I say that to my friends that are super. Everybody has to get vaccinated. I'm looked at like I'm a monster. And when I say that to people who are anti this vaccine, they just don't trust it. I'm looked at like I am a, a, like I'm just a sucker, like I'm just a fool who's who's willing to put anything in my body. And I don't understand either one of them.
1: No, it's, everything is so extreme to the left or right at this point. Yes. We've talked about this for If years you live in the years. middle,
0: you're getting beaten up by everybody. You're getting rocks thrown at you by everybody.
1: Yes. There, I just there want once,
0: to be reasonable about everything. That's it.
1: Yeah, there once was a time when the majority of the country was in the middle. Yeah. like, And now, who knows? Like, It, it might just be uh, a few here and there that we just happen to run into, but it seems like a lot more than it used to be. Everything is politicized nowadays, even the science. I I hate it
0: for Cole. And the other guy I hate it for, John Stockton's finding himself in the same problem. He's made some weird propaganda telling people not to get the COVID vaccine and all this stuff. And I'm not that, okay? I'm not telling people not to get the COVID. But calling these people, referring to them as quote-unquote anti-vaxxers, like, come on, guys. Like, that's this is not the hippie mom who doesn't want to vaccinate her kids with polio and all the other vaccines and that you get as a and, child yeah. measles mumps like all that stuff like this is these are not the same people True. these are not the same things measles and mumps kill people they destroy children COVID killed a lot of old sick people it really did and that's a shame and it's sad and i'm not making light of that but it's not gonna kill Kobe's and they going to no. kill anybody in that locker room unless you got an 85 year old coach a
1: hundred percent a hundred percent Staying on the NFL, we're going to swap subjects real quick. Rusty Harden, who is the agent, or not the agent, the uh, uh, attorney for Deshaun Watson, he has come out and said that the NFL has not yet even interviewed Deshaun Watson. Uh, Now, this does not surprise you at all. It did surprise me a little bit because of the timing. It is June 20th when we were recording this. Uh, I figured at some point they would have interviewed him to figure out, okay, what is going on? Like, I understand you fighting, but we need some information. Like, we need you to to be as honest with you or as honest with us as you can be. What is going on? Like, I don't right. think it hurts for them to call and have a conversation.
0: I got I to gotta ask you a personal question, okay? We've talked about your personal finances. We talked yeah. about your a little bit of your political beliefs and your medical history here. So we're going to get real personal. What? Information. what logic are you using to think this is what they would have done by now? Like you're shocked that they haven't done this. What, what information are you using? You're thinking that you would have done it by now, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you, do you think Roger Goodell, this, this moron, this, this dancing monkey for the, for the owners, you think he's capable of making a good decision?
1: I mean, I would hope so. Or do you think this is a Mark
0: Emmert situation? I'm literally, these two guys could be connected at the asshole. They're the same person, okay? They don't want to do anything hard. They want to just wait it out and hope that somebody else, they want to hope that either the smoking gun lands and they can take the evidence that falls and say, he's a bad guy, we have videotape, we have we have a smoking gun, we have some hardcore evidence showing that he's a bad guy and then they can rule on that. Or they're hoping that some smoking gun the other way comes out and all these women have colluded together to ruin Deshaun Watson's life so they can do that. They're just hoping that somebody else does something to, to make their job easy, because why should we pay somebody $100 million a year to do a good job and be smart?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, (laughs) I'm just, I I don't. I trust this person zero.
0: I think you think smart people run these things because they're highly compensated and and they, they do a very prestigious job. I I don't think that equals a smart, intelligent person. I think they're morons. I think the reason Roger Goodell keeps getting the job that he gets is because the owners want a moron, because if it was a smart person in there, the owners couldn't manipulate him. That is a very valid. I think I think the same thing for the presidents and Mark Emmer. They all hate him, but they all keep putting him in because he's a puppet that they can literally crack a whip and make him dance. All right. Yeah, that's it. That's it. He's a stool pigeon, and that's what Roger Goodell is. Why the hell would he do anything hard?
1: The NFL, I'm sure, is hoping for a settlement. He's hoping for a quick settlement. Now, Tony Busby, the attorney for uh, the 22 women, has said that there will not be a settlement. Like, that will not be happening, uh, at least not anytime soon. They're not even going to interview, like, the legal entities are not going to interview Deshaun Watson until after... The Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, it'll be
0: like March yeah, or April of next year.
1: It's going to be a while, and at this point, you know, this hamstrings the um, the Texans. This, you know, messes with Deshaun Watson as to whether or not he can play because as of right now, if they don't interview By him... only do hamstrings
0: like- the Texans or messes with Watson until the NFL makes a ruling or decision. All if right. I'm the Texans and I was Watson, I would go forward as if nothing's going to happen to him because... If the NFL's not going to do an investigation, then how can they make a ruling on any of this?
1: So if the NFL doesn't make a ruling, if you're Deshaun Watson, do you go back to the Texans and just play?
0: I don't know. Yeah, I would. I would. Now, I know he wants out of there, but he understands during this process, nobody's going to trade for him until he gets some clarity on this.
1: I am I am very curious uh, what he ends up doing because uh, you remember he he sat out camp. He sat out workouts, you know, all yep. that good stuff. No, He's, he yeah. He's not, like, he still is very adamant that he wants out of Houston. And I, but
0: I think Houston wants him gone, but they can't trade him right now. I think Houston yeah. wants an investigation done, and a, they want a ruling by the NFL th- themselves.
1: Yes, yes, that's what I think. I think Houston, it's not the player that wants the ruling. I think it's Houston that wants the ruling.
0: Well, yeah. Like, they want something well, I think done. I think Watson wants a ruling, too, because he needs to know, can I go to work or not? But if I was him, I would go about my life as if I'm going to play this year. Yeah,
1: yeah. So the problem is right. is
0: is if he's if he's adamant about not playing for the Texans, they can't trade him with this leaning over him. They just can't. Yeah, no, it's impossible. So exactly. now you're Houston. You have to pay this contract until the NFL does something.
1: Yes, yes. But you, you have to correct.
0: pay a guy that much money to sit on the sidelines and do nothing.
1: We'll uh, we'll close out this portion of the show before we get to the interview with Parker Fleming, and make sure that you stick around for that, of course because he is highly entertaining. So make sure that you stick around for it. Chris, I wanted to bring up a, a weird news story. We do this every now and then, and this one kind of caught my eye. You, you know how I've brought up multiple times about Guinness Book of World Records stuff, right? Okay. We have a new one. All right. A Nebraska man set a new world record by completing 60 skydiving jumps in 24 hours while dressed in nothing but his safety equipment. Naked skydiving. So he was free ball? free balling, straight up, nothing on but the safety equipment. Did it sixty times within twenty four hours. Now it, this is Rian Canoof of So Omaha. has somebody
0: done it more than sixty times in twenty four hours? But with clothes on?
1: No, no, no. no. This so he is just
0: wanted to pull his dick out.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. So let I'll, I'll read you uh, I'll read you this story right quick. He contacted the Guinness World Records about setting the record for the most naked skydiving jumps in twenty four hours. The group said that he could create the new record category if he performed at least 25 jumps in the time period. Uh, Knuth said it is an informal tradition for skydivers to perform their 100th jump in the nude, and he came up with the idea to set the Naked Skydiving World Record as a fundraiser for a mental health charity after the recent death of a friend. He said, My friend that we lost to mental health issues was about that close to his 100th jump. And he said it was close enough that he talked about it all the time and he didn't get to make it. So, I'm out here for him and a lot of other people that we lost. He ended his attempt with 60 completed naked jumps over Weeping Water, Nebraska. Uh, His attempt raised money for the Movember Foundation, which is a charity dedicated to men's mental health and suicide prevention. But this is one that he just, he made it up. He called Guinness and was like, Hey, I want to set a record for this. And they said, Shit, all right, cool. Like... (laughs) whatever you want to do bro we'll put you the, in the, the,
0: the naked part is weird to me i it's, i understand i guess why they you do i, I don't know so i <laughs> i've more of a question than anything so we know how men react to cold water right yes what do you think like the cold of the air falling does the same thing
1: i notice it does not say like how high up he went um I mean, 60 times in 24 hours to get a plane off the ground. Let me tell you who's not happy
0: about this. All right. Your your Green New Deal folks are not (laughs) pleased that this fool (laughs) is taking a private plane up in the air just to jump out of the son of a bitch 60 times in one day. We're trying to save the damn earth, and this bastard's got to pull his cock out 60 times.
1: Yes, and and fly, basically. He's got to fall to the earth, load up, go get another plane, like 60 times to Skydive. It could not, they could not have gone up that high, right? It's weird.
0: It's weird. It's it's weird. It's yeah. weird. I,
1: I just, I, I don't even, I don't understand. Like, this
0: try thing. to do something. And, and, okay, this is what's weird to me. Like, you did all this to fundraise. Like, did people give you money? Yes. Yes. Why? Why would anybody give him money? Like, just donate to these charities. You don't have to give him money.
1: I mean, you like, look, me. if
0: you want <clears throat> to, listen, we should raise money for mental health issues and, and we should help folks that that need help i'm i'm a huge advocate of that i don't need some naked guy jumping out of an airplane to do that
1: he uh he raised whatever
0: all the money that he spent flying this plane up and down, why didn't he just give it to them tell the tell your friend's story and ask for money you could have got the same amount of money all the money you spent on gas and a pilot and all this other bullshit you you could have just gone put to it towards the charity I don't think anybody's going to pay you. Maybe jump once naked because he missed his hundred jump. That's fine. You got to pull your dick out. You get the world to be free. That's fine. 59 times. No, you want your name in a book. This is about you. Don't make it look like you're doing this for charity. This is about you wanting your name in a book.
1: I do believe that people caught on to exactly what you were saying. Uh, He set a target of $5,000 that he wanted to raise for charity. He raised $2,150.
0: i am going to bet it costs more than $5,000 unless he owns the plane and the pilot's a friend. If you had to rent a plane, hire a pilot, and pay for fuel, $5,000 isn't even going to cover your expenses for the day of going up and down 10, uh, 60 times. Yes. You're, I'm going to bet you're, not even close, by the way.
1: Yeah, I, I bet it's... Because, hey, you're going to gonna have to have
0: multiple pilots yeah. because they can only fly so many hours a day. So... No, that's yeah. This is insane. Yes. Like, like he raised two thousand bucks. <laughs> I bet this thing cost him ten thousand bucks.
1: Yes, I was gonna say. I bet it was. Congratulations,
0: was the charity got nothing, and uh, he got his name in a book, and he insane. got to pull his dick out a lot. <laughs> Don't we put those people on a list? We should. Like, like if like if you just walked around downtown Memphis uh, and just pulled your dick out, be like, oh, whoop! It's my hundredth time dancing on Bill. Let me pull my dick out. <laughs> Like you're now a sexual predator. Congratulations, yes, we your name your goes on a list, and you can't hang out around yes, schools.
1: You're in a different list that you have yeah. your name printed. Like, elsewhere. yeah, we're gonna
0: put your name <laughs> in a book, by the way, but it's a different book.
1: And in, in this book, you have to go introduce yourself to all of your to neighbors all of your every neighbors.
0: Time you move. <laughs> is, Say please keep your child out from my arm.
1: Yes, I I cannot be around oh. your children. I apologize.
0: Weird. Weird. A lot of I don't judge folks for their sexual stuff, but I, you know, I this is weird. It, it Doing stuff is. in the name of charity always makes me raise a, a little, you know, cross-eyed because I yes. what happens when you get old, you just become a cynical bastard. You don't trust anybody. You wanted to do this to get famous, and now you're going to say, well, I'm going to do it for charity, for my, my friend that killed himself. I'm sorry for your friend, and I think we should do everything we can to stop that. Yes. Okay, You jumping 60 times and getting famous ain't helping your friend, and it ain't helping people like your friend.
1: No, it is not at all. All right, let's wrap up today's show. Uh, of course, uh, we're going to do a little ad, but then after the ad, we have a, uh, an interview with Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter. I'll do a full introduction whenever we actually get to the interview. But uh, fascinating listen, incredibly smart guy. Uh, as I say on that, he is smarter than me at everything that I want to be smart at. So make sure and listen in to him. He is fantastic. We talk a lot about TCU. He is a massive TCU guy. Actually has uh, purpletheory.substack.com. That's his newsletter about TCU and the Big 12 and whatnot. Super smart dude. Make sure and listen to it. Uh, as far as we go, winningcureseverything.com. That's the site, sbrpicks.com slash NCAAF. We did the college football show on Wednesdays. You can go find it on YouTube. Just search out SBR Picks. And, uh, and if you are listening to this, that means that you have the podcast already. So just make sure that you are subscribed to it. We appreciate you supporting us and downloading and listening and all that fun stuff. Hopefully, we are entertaining. If we are, tell somebody. Tell a friend about it. All that good stuff. You know, word of mouth is uh, is the best way for us because you guys actually are our advertising department. So, with that said, Chris, is there anything else that you want to hit on today?
0: No, that's it, brother.
1: Let's do this thing. We are going to hit an ad, and then we are going to jump over to the interview.
2: You know how to book flights and hotels.
3: Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
1: On today's show, the owner and proprietor of CFB-Graphs.com or hyphen graphs.com, whatever you want to say. College football analyst with an emphasis on TCU and the Big 12, contributor at Football Outsiders. He, uh, he has a kick-ass newsletter. You can go and check it out, purpletheory.substack.com, and he is smarter than me at everything that I would like to be smart at. You can follow him on Twitter, at Stats of War. He is Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you?
4: Doing well, Gary, glad to, uh, glad to be here. And yes, we are going with CFB-Graphs. Okay. Uh, someone owns cfbgraphs.com, it's an active, they have a Twitter account. Every, uh, you know, about every 15 days I message them and say like, hey, is anyone here? Hey, I'd like to buy your domain. Hey, is anyone here? Uh, but yeah, yeah. so thank you and I appreciate it. Uh, kick ass is how I would describe my newsletter too. So it's nice to have some uh, external validation on that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I wanna go ahead and dive right into this. This is your first time on the show. Uh, for anybody that follows the the college football analytics Twitter, I guess, uh, or has ever seen me retweet your stuff or tweet any kind of stats out or anything like that, that's what you do. Uh, kind of tell me and the audience, I guess, what are college football analytics to you, and then let's kind of get started with uh, with how you got started in it, and you know how you're involved and and why you created CFB-Graphs.com.
4: Yeah, so um, so college football analytics is, is nothing crazy, it's just, you know, looking at the available data and trying to figure out patterns that kind of inform us as to meaningful and persistent long-term uh, effects, relationships, trends in college football. Um, and and so that you know is a, is a is a long uh, can, can be a lot of things and and you know it can get very very wonky really really quickly with all your machine learning nonsense that escapes me, um, but I just think it's 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 a really nice way to kind of confirm or deny the eye test. It's a really good way to kind of ask yourself, hey, is uh, are my priors? Um, good? Or are they bad? Should I adjust them? You know, you think about, you could sit down and physically, you know, DVR everything, watch every football game every weekend, and you will not be able to make meaningful comparisons across every single team. You need something there. And and so analytics isn't new. Most people are doing analytics right now. They're just doing them poorly by using like total yards and time of possession. Yes. Um, and so college football analytics, when we talk about that specifically, and kind of the Twitter sphere that I occupy is looking at per drive, per play metrics, looking at, you um, you you know, throwing out some garbage time, trying to ask how do teams move the ball um, and how, how good are they uh, at it? So of course there's some obvious gaps cause we don't have as, as good of data as like the NFL does on, you know, scheme alignment participation, but that's improving. And we can still ask and answer some interesting questions. And so, um, I got into it cause I'm, I'm a liberal arts guy, uh, double major undergrad, uh, religion and, and economics, but not the, not the mathy kind of economics, the, uh, philosophy of economics kind of guy. And so, um. Out of college, decided that I actually wanted to go get a PhD in economics, and I needed a lot of math classes. So I went and got a master's in economics and took seven math classes in four semesters, um, and they were all really boring. But I sat through them and I had to get credit for them, and so I started thinking, uh, "Hey, what you know? This? What can I do with this?" And then I, you know, got started. Um, on the technical side of things, in economics, we use this horrible dinosaur of a program called Stata, and it is just soul-sucking, and it's awful to work with, and it makes terrible graphs. And I wanted to learn this new fancy thing called R, which is a little bit more flexible, gives you some cooler graphs, is, is open source and all that. And so, I, I just said, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn R, and I'm gonna use sports data to do it. And so, I started, you know, just basically stealing baseball stats, looking at stuff that, you know, our friend Bill Conley has, has done and saying, do I like this? Could I improve on this? Um, and, and just started kind of working Working up to that, which really culminated in you know 2019, uh, getting getting on Twitter and kind of establishing a presence. Working with uh, a couple good friends. Um, to to establish an EPA model for college football. We actually had a package um, that's now obsolete just because we haven't had time to maintain it called CFB Scraper, where people, you know, can get the play-by-play data on their own machines, get the EPA, Uh, because again, I I don't want access to data to be the issue for anyone trying to do analytics. Like, I want people to have data and do cool things. Um, And so from there, I just started realizing, hey, I need a tool. I I need some way to aggregate all this that makes sense so I can write my previews, because realistically, all this stuff I don't care about. The one thing I care about is Thursday mornings during the season. I will write a preview of TCU and their opponent. That's like you know twenty five hundred words long. It is a, it is a labor of love. It is completely psychotic, um, but I love it. And I, I refer to certain stats. I think certain certain things are important. in looking at games, I was like, I need a tool. So I started kind of building a tool. And then people would ask me, Hey, where do you get the stats? And so I said, Oh, I'll just you know I'll toss it up and. Uh, put it on a website. And so that's really what kind of started is like, I make pre tables and now I've kind of learned some web development and, and, and I'm building out the modules to make it a, a more of a, a, a thing that is a good reference for people. But ultimately CFB-graphs.com is just a, a tool that I would like to use when I'm writing previews and, and thinking about college football. And so I wanted to share that with other people because I think it can be useful.
1: I absolutely loved it. The user interface is great. Like you've really been working on it quite a bit. Um, so R, you brought up R that's a what close cousin of python i've been kind of dabbling in python a little bit like i'm i'm just a buffoon i don't know anything about numbers or anything like that i don't have a phd i didn't finish college i went on tour i was in a rock band like i you know i did that, yeah. but i i feel like i'm smart enough to be able to figure out some of the stuff i work as an it technician so you know i've i've got some computer stuff down but R close cousin to python is that is that right
4: yeah, yeah. The, the, so, what I tell people is whatever, you know, because a lot of people want to argue about R versus Python or whatever, and I just tell people, use what you know. The, the tool that you know is the best one for now. If people are starting out, I would push them to R. R has, man, this is going to get real nerdy, um, <laughs> R has a, a kind of a, a suite of commands called the Tidyverse. Which is just a really nice way to take data that is a rectangle, right? That, so, it's, you know, it's very clean, you have a play on each line. And you've got information. Right. It's a way to manipulate and analyze that that just is so much easier than Python, just objectively. Um, and, and so that's what I really like about it. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's the same. I do some stuff in Python. You know, there's some web scraping and some, some dynamic modeling that I like Python for. So I, I move back between them and, and still unfortunately have to use Stata a little bit. But um, I like R, if, if, if someone's listening to this and they think, hey, how do I get involved in sports analytics? Uh, I would say start out in R um, if, you, if you don't know anything already. But Python's a great tool as well.
1: Okay, so start with R and then and then move to Python. that do
4: Well, okay. no, I, w- I would say if you, if you know Python, use that. If okay. you're looking to get into analytics at all and you don't know a programming language, I would encourage you to learn R because I think that's a little easier to get into.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Um, you brought up, you know, PhD and uh, graduated and all that good stuff. At, where does the love from T, or for TCU come from? Where does yeah, it, yeah. Is that all from alma mater or is that a family thing or, or what's up?
4: No, I, I uh, so so one. I do feel compelled to say I am I am not doc, Dr. Fleming yet. I uh, I'm 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 ABD, so I'm still working on it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I did undergrad at TCU. Gotcha. Uh, I really hadn't heard of them much beyond going to the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, where I grew up, um, and and seeing them play one year. Right and, I uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and so I got a I got a mailer that had Ladanian Tomlinson and purple on it. And I was like, this sounds pretty cool. And so we went and visited. And of course it was Texas and we went to Six Flags and we ate Mexican food. And I was like, oh, this would be really fun. I love Robert Earl Keene and, you know, scholarship worked. And so I <laughs> stepped on campus and started wearing purple.
1: Absolutely. All right. So you, you brought up stats. You said EPA. I want to get into some of these specific stats for, you know, the nerds out there that, don't know that they're nerds yet but maybe interested in this EPA uh, kind of explain it for me uh, you know why your site you know uses that metric or why you prefer to use that metric uh, on top of everything else and you know some other things about it like the difference between offensive EPA, defensive EPA, what the margin means um, and tell me this on the front end is it adjusted at all for strength of schedule
4: yeah, so the the numbers as they are right now are raw. I have an adjustment that I use for my picks. I'm, I'm still working through the, um, shall I say, political economy of posting my exact numbers for, for picks makes, online. Makes perfect sense. Um, and so those are, you know, those are left as an exercise. What's cool about EPA though, is that largely you have a good sense of, okay, this is probably way higher. So like BYU is second right now Um, in EPA margin because they're 10th in defensive EPA. BYU did not have the 10th best defense last year. They played a terrible (laughs) schedule. Like you can know that. So I'm not as worried about those because EPA is a descriptive stat. And so what I mean by that is it's backwards looking. It's saying given down distance yard line and a couple other factors, uh, how much did you improve or hurt your situation on a per play basis? And so EPA expected points added is really a solution to a problem. And here's the problem. The, the, the prime efficiency uh, metric that people have used so far has been yards per play, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and yards per play is fine. You have a high yards per play, you're doing pretty well. If you got a low one, you're not doing great. There's a problem there because yards per play um, can be really confusing. If you get three yards on first and 10, that's bad. If you get three yards on third and three, that's good. Not all yeah. yards are created equal, so which successful. is exactly the premise of EPA. And, and so uh, EPA really solves that problem by just translating yards to points in context and gives us a measure to compare across situations the value that you added on a per play basis. Um, it's, it's effectively a, an explosiveness weighted success rate because it's, it not just, it's not just a binary, did you succeed or did you not? It actually weights the situation for how much you succeeded or how much you failed. Um, and so it's it, it's very similar to like weighted on base average in baseball. Uh, you know, you have batting average. You say, hey, did you get a, did you hit a hit or not? But then there's more things that happen, and then we know, hey, there's run values attributed to these. Football is a little messier because there aren't as neat game states, and it's not it's not finite like baseball is. Um, but but it is really. Um, a way for me to kind of say, I can weight the the quality of your successes to get an average of how efficient you are and how explosive you are, which are two of the most important things um, in uh, in 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 football success. It's really nice to look at it compared to success rate because it kind of gives you a hey, were you generating value through a couple explosive plays, are you generating value through you know moving the ball consistently and, and success rate, um, and so that can tell you a whole lot about a team. So offensive VPA is is. Just great it is just a great stat it, it is just so easy to tell hey how well you did it's such an improvement over so many things that we use defensive EPA is 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 noisier there's just a lot going on um, it, it's a little bit more confusing again still still a good metric but like I showed with BYU it's going to be way more subject to the quality of offenses you played it's going to be way more subject to um, individual matchups that we don't have data points for and and stuff like that so here
1: let me uh, let me stop you the top five defensive epa from last year san diego state tulsa marshall colorado state miami it schedule right
4: Yep, all all fine defenses, but not the five best defenses in the nation, right? Like, like West Virginia, number six, has a case to be the best defense in the nation last year. Iowa at number, what is that, eight? Uh, Cincinnati at number nine. Like, right? Those, those are teams you think, okay, yeah, that matters. But you can see that it's going to be highly context dependent. Which again doesn't mean, and again, if you're looking at Marshall and looking at West Virginia and using you know three decimal places to. Make an argument about those two. That's probably that's probably not the best way to do (laughs) analytics, Um, and so yeah, there there are some opponent considerations that need to be made. But mostly, defensive EPA is 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 a little less predictive, a little crazier. And so, actually, that EPA margin is a weighted average of offense and defense that trends more towards offense because offensive EPA per play is highly correlated with win probability in a game, right? And so all that means just you, you increase, increase your offensive EPA per play, you increase your win probability so substantially that that's really what matters. Um, and so that, that, you know, defense still matters and we still account for it, but I'm, I've kind of tuned into a weighted average that that leans a little bit more towards offense that gives me a better predictive, um, measure and and a better way to kind of compare teams.
1: Now you did bring up, so I I do want to get into, uh, expected points per drive, uh, which I, I think that's what XPPD is, right?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I need to work on my branding. I've got too many X's in there, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. You've
1: got a glossary section. It's, it's, you know, it's being worked on, and that's okay. Uh, But you you did bring up some things that, you know, for anybody that really wants to dive into the analytics of it, Bill Conley, one of the godfathers of college football analytics, uh, he detailed his five predictive factors back in 2015, which uh, that's over at footballstudyhall.com. The article is still up. You can go find it. Uh, He found correlations between these stats and winning and losing. And it's it's based on these five things. It's one, points per play, or explosiveness, or explosiveness, excuse me, uh, success rate or efficiency, field position, so the average starting field position, uh, finishing drive, so that's points per drive inside the 40, and turnovers or uh, or havoc rate. Um, it, uh, what you're using on the site kind of entails some of that piece together. Is that right? Up. I got you on mute.
4: Absolutely. Uh, and if anyone and if anyone wants to uh, get into sports analytics, I mean, you can, Bill's book, Football Study Hall, in addition to the website that is still up and archived, is, is absolutely necessary reading. Um, yes. So, I, I think those five factors are a great heuristic for kind of interpreting what happens. I'm a little bit more agnostic about a couple of things. Um, I treat all drives as successes or failures. I, I do not count. Um, I don't give you negative points for a safety. I don't give you negative points for for an, an interception that you throw that goes back for a touchdown because that's so random, right? That confuses our understanding, in my opinion, um, because what that does is that that penalizes you for the spatial distribution of players on one play, like disproportionately. Uh, an interception is bad, and in the in the sense of you know creating the narrative of game, an interception return for a touchdown is, hey, this might be the reason that they lost here. But in terms of assessing a team's quality, that's no different than an interception where the guy caught the ball and he kneeled it, right? The the problem there is still the quarterback made a bad throw um, or the defender made a good play and you lost an opportunity to score. Football is a game of opportunities. I say this all the time and it's kind of a joke, but it's not untrue. College football is a lot more like bowling than, than we want to than we want to believe because it's a series of drives and it's a series of ch- turnovers and chances, um, and so what my net uh, my net XPPD does is really kind of looks at the idea that a drive that has a first down at an opponent's twenty two that ends in a turnover and a drive that has a first down at the opponent's twenty two and ends in a touchdown are the same in expectation, right? Before before anything else, the drive still reached the same value. And we only see the censored value of zero or seven. Um, and so what I do is do a little bit of, you know, weird statistical nonsense that just says, hey, I'm, I have a pretty good idea. I can bound the value of a drive and get a non-zero, non-seven number for each drive, um, uh, accounting for the randomness of turnovers and stuff that, that I, I think are a little noisy. And so that that dials in a little bit more, kind of a per drive, a per opportunity uh, stat, which is net xppd is. Um, the other one that I that I kind of play around with on that line is is something I'm, I'm tentatively calling Eccle, Um, and uh, it is the ratio of productive drives. So it's it's ripped almost straight from hockey. Hockey, they have a stat called Corsi. The statistician named it Corsi because this assistant coach on his favorite team had an amazing mustache and he thought I liked that guy. <laughs> I named my stat Echel, uh after the fullback on the Navy team that had like a 16 minute drive in 2003 or whatever. That's I just felt like it was, you know, a beefy fullback was the right name for, for game control because time of possession really, really annoys me. Um, and how you control a game is not related to how long you hold a ball. It's how how well you use your drives versus how well you let your opponent use your drives. And so a quality possession there, like a a productive possession, is where you get a first down in opponent territory or you have a big play touchdown, right? And so all Echol does is kind of give us an idea of how often are you getting those, how often are you allowing those, which gives us a better idea for expectations about how productive your offense is.
1: I absolutely love it. Um, College football has changed a lot. You're, you're taking some of those five factors that we, that we just talked about. Um, are those five factors still kind of uh, the holy quinfecta, I guess? Or is there more or, or maybe less that we should look at uh, when it comes to, you know, trying to predict outcomes?
4: Yeah, so, I mean, I mean Bill does pretty well uh, predicting, predicting outcomes. So, like, I can't say anything against that. Uh, I, no, I will he, say that,
1: updates, like— Let me interrupt you. He updates his SP+. Uh, basically every year. He tries to tweak it. He comes up with uh, different things. That he tosses in recruiting. He tosses in uh, uh, past results a little bit to give it a little more weight. Um, so there's obviously more to it than just the five factors. But uh, in a in a game-on-game situation, once you've got a little bit of data, maybe you're four games, five games into the season, and you've got something on paper, uh, th- those would be the five, I guess, right? Yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, uh, I I think the biggest difference between that and and me is just I just don't care as much about turnovers. Uh, <laughs> well, it's all luck, right? Right, right. And yeah. and and it's it it is and it isn't. And like obviously, some people can coach and kind of enforce it. But again, that's just such a small fraction of your total plays that I don't think it improves my. No, I, not I don't think I know it does not improve my predictions um and 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 so, in reality though you you kind of go to first principles and you look at, okay, how consistently are you moving the ball? um how explosive are you uh, and so if you're really consistent but you're not explosive, uh you're not really gonna get those break free touchdowns, but if you're not really consistent and you're relying on explosiveness you're 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 gonna have trouble getting enough opportunities to score. Um, and so you have to have some kind of measure of efficiency and explosiveness, because even if explosive plays are random, that's kind of the, those go hand in hand. But then I, I really like to look, you know, use it, using field for field position in my drive value stat and, and kind of adjusting for that is saying, given where you started, what did you do? Um, and so I, I like to think of football being more about opportunity and what you did with it. Um, and so I really think that however you put legs on efficiency, explosiveness, and field position, um, the, you're, you're gonna hover around the same thing. Um, and, and it just comes down to degrees about like, what do you think is important in terms of, you know, should I penalize a team for this? Should I penalize a team for that? Like, um, and interceptions in EPA are all based on you know, the, the average value of an interception. Uh, So, I recode all of them just because, again, I don't think that you should be disproportionately punished just because your receiver fell down and the opponent, you know, ran 60 yards for a touchdown on an interception, for instance. Um, It's more important that, hey, you had this opportunity and you wasted it. And that's what my drive-based stats really capture um, is kind of, hey, uh, you're you're pretty efficient, you're pretty um, explosive. But you you don't get a lot of opportunities, or you get a lot of opportunities and you don't do anything with it because you stall on a certain aspect of your game. And so those five factors are are great and and inarguable as important facets. But defining those specifically, I think, is a little um, a little different. Like for instance, I don't I don't love Havoc rate, uh, just because I think one, it's it's coded weirdly, it's it's inconsistent there, and. It's it's a little bit. um
1: Well, have a great includes a it, several different defensive metrics, right? I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a, a quarterback pressure that you can toss. In. I mean, a lot of people do it uh, different ways, but there's sacks. Um, but sometimes the sack isn't. Uh, I don't know how to explain it the best way. It's it, some sacks are more important than others. Uh, yeah, well, some are, some of the, the
4: quarterbacks' fault. Some yeah. of the defenders. Extra effort. Yeah. So a lot of those things are observationally equivalent. And like the direction I'm trying to go is trying to get more into as data sources be getting more, get more valuable uh, and more, excuse me, as data sources get more available, looking at things like, hey, let's let's take out the screen game when we're evaluating someone's passing game. Just recently through kind of scraping, I was able to, I'm able to separate designed quarterback runs outside of scrambles. And so that gives me more information about, you know, is a guy running for his life and generating value, like Max, uh, my favorite stat, 2019 uh, PFF tweeted this, that Max Duggan created the most value with his legs behind Trevor Lawrence in 2019. And it's literally like, Oh yeah, because Max Duggan is, running for his life on third and long and getting a first down most times. So like, that's not, that's, they're, they're not trying to do that. Um, and so that is what I'm, uh, you know, you know, stuff like that where we just get a little more granular, that makes sense. Again, a lot of that is on the offensive side. Cause defense is so hard to measure because there just aren't that many sacks, even something like pass breakups, which has recently become available. That's only a few you know, that's so, that's so few observations of a play-by-play relationship between a receiver and a defensive back uh, where so much happened that we really can't quantify. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of, I mean, it's a mess because we have limited data, but I, th- I think there are interesting ways to kind of say, all right, we know what's generally important when we try to evaluate a team. Yeah. Um, how can we define that, refine that in a way that's going to make, uh, make my knowledge better going forward?
1: It's a a perfect example. You were talking about the turnover uh, situation. You know, a turnover shouldn't be uh, that much of a penalty, et cetera. Ole Miss played at Arkansas last year, and Matt Corral had, uh, what, six turnovers (laughs) or six interceptions in that game? But you could tell when he wasn't throwing turnovers, when he wasn't throwing interceptions, that Ole Miss was a better football team than Arkansas last year. Like, you could see it on the field the way that they were going up and down the field. But the turnovers killed them. I mean, they ended up losing by, I think, 13 points. Uh, they would have scored significantly more than that. It's exactly what you're talking about. You brought up Max Duggan. I got to talk about TCU a little bit. Um, I love the 247 team talent ranking. Uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that TCU was number three in the Big 12 as far as team talent. They were number 28 nationally. Now, Texas is number one at number five, uh, and they always underperform that, seems like. And... Oklahoma was number nine nationally so they were uh, number two in the big 12. obviously talent is not everything you know you got to be able to coach and develop etc it is a good starting point though and if you look at what TCU already has on the roster and what they were able to bring in uh, you know they only brought in 14 recruits this past season or this uh, this past recruiting class back in February but they also brought in five really good transfers. A uh, couple of the guys from Memphis, you know, you got TJ Carter, the cornerback. You got, uh, uh let's see, Banks, the wide receiver from A&M. You know, he was a former four-star. This looks to be Gary Patterson's most talented team at TCU. What, what are the expectations? What do you think this team is capable of this season?
4: This team is absolutely capable of competing for a Big 12 championship and playing in the... Uh in the big 12 championship game um I, I think the pieces are here for this team to be better than 2017 now granted that that rests on a couple things happening um that are, that are far from guaranteed to happen especially in the offensive side of the ball so defense not worried uh people are going to see you know you lose our darius washington garrett wallow and um and trevon Merig from the from the you know the back seven and you think oh no there's a lot of turnover but that that, that really hasn't been an issue with tcu they bring in carter i think carter's actually going to switch over to safety which She's going to provide them nice depth. They've got two cornerbacks who are really good. Um, and a lot of guys who played a lot of reps the last two years due to injuries and stuff. And so, um, I, I think the defense I'm not as worried about, especially when you have, you know, Kari Coleman, um, and O'Shawn Mathis as, as defensive ends who, who should have substantially better defensive, you know, play, uh, along the line, uh, especially I'm getting too wonky here. Sorry. But like the four, two, five defense that Gary Patterson runs, if you don't have a defensive end who can who can get to the quarterback, you, you can't do anything. You put too much pressure on your defensive backs. And so I think that'll be an improvement. So you have some of these things that are automatically just, hey, just by the style of guy that they're gonna have are gonna be better than they were last year, even as you have some transform uh, transformation along the line. Um, I think TCU's offensive line was, was one of the worst in the country last year. Uh, and a lot of that was due to injury. They started, I think nine guys, um, They, you know, started a walk-on for multiple games. Steve Avila, who's a great center, was playing right tackle just because they just couldn't they, they couldn't figure out how to get guys healthy and playing and everything. And so it was just an absolute mess. Um, and so bringing in Obianna Easy from Memphis is a, a huge um, upgrade over TJ Storman at tackle. It would have been nice if the Frogs could have convinced TJ Storman to play on the right side of the line, but I understand that he wanted to be a left tackle, and I get that. Um, so again, I think the offensive line was kind of the limiting factor last year. And now you've got a wealth of skill players. You know, Zach Evans is going to be the guy, especially now that Darwin Barlow's. Um, Transferred and and Quentin Johnson is is a name that everyone should know. Um, he is he is one of the best deep threat wide receivers. Uh, what we've been saying around the TCU sphere is you know TCU hasn't had a Quentin. Quinton Johnston since Josh Doxon. Um, He's that kind of deep, deep threat playmaker. And 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 then you get to the question of like Max Duggan. Okay, Max Duggan has to take a step. He absolutely does. But Max Duggan is somebody who we've seen his development in real time, which is a little bit unfair in our perception. So a lot of guys of Max Duggan's caliber would sit for two years, compete for a starting job, job their junior year, and then have the job for two years. Duggan came in and should have redshirted. If TCU's development pipeline was correct, if their recruits had panned out, you know, Sean Robinson and uh, and Justin Rogers, Max Duggan would not have seen the light of day in 2019, Um, and then 2020. Uh, Duggan has a you know a heart condition that's just terrifying but I'm so glad they found it and were able to fix it and everything but still he loses whatever short offseason he has and has to deal with all that and so I think Max Duggan is a lot better than he gets credit for just because he was not supposed to be starting he had some serious offensive issues um, and and I think they'll be better this year the, the the key for an outsider to look at TCU and say what you know what are they gonna do? What can they do? Is, is looking at the Oklahoma State game last year, uh, you know, TCU went down early, the offense kind of stalled and they went back to the same old, same old, you know, screens and goes kind of yeah. nonsense that doesn't work. And Jerry Kill, who TCU hired in kind of this innovative, you know, offensive head coach role, uh, was sitting on the sideline with Doug Meacham, who's now the, the, the sole o- offensive coordinator and pointing at the play sheet and they were checking things off. And you saying, nope, we're not running this, we're not running this, we're not running this. And they went back to kind of this jet sweep, play action uh, middle of the field intermediate game and it worked just so well um and so i think that's you know if tc is going well this year they're going to be kind of running this like jet sweep power air raid and uh and that'll be a lot more suited to max Duggan's skill sets especially with his legs and so this team can go as far as as the offensive design takes them uh, if you know if the offensive line holds um the only problem is that you know Every other team in the Big 12 has been circling 2021 on their calendar as being the year for, for, for a couple of years now, yes. Oklahoma, uh, Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma State even, uh, and, and I think Kansas State with Skylar with Thompson back. So you've got a, a lot of competition that are saying, oh, 2021 is our year, which is very unfortunate because TCU hasn't had a year in a while and, and they're trying to make 2021 there, Yo. So I'm excited for the Big 12, I think it's wide open. I think TCU is absolutely a player. Uh, I have them slotted in as second in my power rankings right now. Um, Uh, Just because I I really do think that Duggan is underrated. And I think the the rushing attack is going to be hard to hard to stop. Um, But I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of talent in the Big 12. And there's a lot of just really, really smart offense and a lot of really good defense that there hasn't been the last couple of years.
1: No, it's the idea of it. I guess the um, what the Big 12 is doing has shifted over the past, you know, five, 10 years. And and now all of the rest of college football is kind of running what the sec is doing it's up tempo really fast get the ball out get your playmakers in space and the big 12 has kind of reeled it back in a little bit and it's it's fun to see uh, the climate change you know it's yeah. it's different so i enjoy it very much tcu is uh, is a very big wild card now changing subjects i can't let you go without talking about the playoff right everybody has to have an opinion on the playoff uh, personally I'm still a little bit torn. I think that I like it. I was always a, uh, as Josh Pate says on 247, a, a four and no more guy, right? But when I look at like the societal shift into where this sport came from, where it was totally regional, and now it is a a national sport, sometimes even international, global sport, I, I think getting more teams involved in the postseason aspect of it is... Is better. I think it's better for the fans. I think it's better for growing the sport. Uh, And people call it, you know, mini NFL and and all this. But I think there are definitely some positives. I don't think it's going to change the outcome of who ends up there at the end. At least not right now. It'll take a decade or more to be able to shift that kind of stuff out. Um, But if you look at, at the progression of college football, this was always going to be the case, right? In the 80s, they have the lawsuit that gets the TV rights back to the schools, which, of course, goes back to the conferences. Uh, In the 90s, you had the first conference championship game in 92. That was the first real case of kind of degrading the the regular season. In 98, you start with the BCS. That kind of degrades the regular season a little bit because, I mean, we all remember Nebraska getting in after getting walloped by Colorado, you know, all those kind of things that happened in the BCS. And... And then you move into the 14 playoff, and then all of a sudden you expect the entity that bought it that kind of runs college football to not just focus on the playoff. Uh, that was never going to happen. So you, you move it out to 12. You get more teams involved later in the season. Some of the games, Alabama-LSU, uh, Texas-Oklahoma, you know, whatever, those games that might have had playoff implications before now are more for just seeding sometimes. Um, but you do have more games that matter later in the season and i think i think this could be a good thing what are what are your thoughts here
4: i think it's important to ask ourselves what is college football for and who is college football for what what is the good in college football and what the suits will tell you is that the good in college football is a game that starts at 9 p.m on monday night in january uh, at a neutral site um with you know 17 beers and 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 you know, Kendrick Lamar playing at halftime, which is, I love Kendrick Lamar. That's awesome. But um, that's not that, that's not what college football is. It's um, c- college football <laughs> is um, having an 11 a.m. beer with your college roommate at the local bar and uh, walking across campus to a tailgate, meeting up with your friends, going inside and, and watching until it's too hot for you to stay and you have to go home. Yes. Um, and, and so, I, I really think that, you know, we're going to have to look ourselves in the look ourselves in the mirror and decide what do we want? And I, and I'm going to say unequivocally, I want more of Appalachian state in Louisiana on a Friday night. Um, than I do, you know, LSU and Alabama at uh, 7 PM on Monday of labor day or whatever, you know, whatever big games happening this year. So that's my lens of the playoff committee. Um, Generally, it's just that I, I actually am for bowl anarchy. I think uh, having a national championship and making that the end of the sport is um, only a vehicle for TV revenue. And I think my cynicism is probably justified. Just in you know looking specifically at TCU, who in two thousand nine with one loss was was left out entirely. Uh, or excuse me. Two thousand eight, two thousand ten, wasn't given a chance, uh, despite the fact that they did everything that anyone could have done, and still went and beat beat a very good Wisconsin team in the, in the Rose Bowl. Um, and then you look at two thousand eleven; they stumbled once in non-con, uh, you know, lost to Baylor, lost to SMU. They were eleven and two, convincingly beat everyone else, had some injury issues, and still, you know, points at a bowl. Um, and so there's this whole narrative of hey, you can't be at the big boys' table because you're not an automatic qualifier. And then things get reformed. And then what happens? Well, 2014, oh, uh, actually your losses don't matter. It's only your wins that matter. So Ohio State can lose, you know, two scores uh, at home to to a team that lost to an FCS team and they get in, But but you who lost by three on the road, on the back of a, pass interference call, uh, is, you know, you can't, you can't be in the playoff. And then 2015 even um, got left out of the New Year's Six entirely after going, you know, 10 and two uh, in a in a really loaded Big 10 and then the same thing or Big, Big 12 and the same thing in 2017 where just absolutely, you know, Texas with four losses gets to go to the Sugar Bowl but TCU uh, with, with two and then having to play Oklahoma again gets left out entirely for a team that didn't even go to their conference championship game. So my problem with the college football playoff committee is that I don't trust them because all they care about is TV revenue. And, you know, the the analogy that I have kind of in my head is if if someone punches me in the face every morning at 8 a.m., right? They walk up to me and that's the deal. Every morning they just punch me in the face (laughs) and they say, you know what? We've heard your pleas. Instead, we're only going to punch you every other day at 8 a.m. Um, that's not an improvement, right? Like that's still that's still a bad deal. And so I think we need some some reform more than just expansion. Um, again, ask people, would Coastal Carolina have been given an opportunity to play themselves in a playoff last year? Uh, and people wanna cite the rankings and say, well, they would have been in the top 12, so yes. And absolutely, they would not have been. Yeah. The, the, the committee, look at what they did at UCF in 2017. Um, the committee absolutely would have changed their rankings to to make sure only one G5 team goes there. I think the biggest loser here is actually the the American Athletic Conference, who now, um, is, is, is going to be, uh, you know, competing with the, the best of the Sunbelt and the Mountain West and everything to fight off. When in reality, their conference is closer to the Pac-12 than it is the Sunbelt. Um, and so to, to, you know, to have this kind of nonsense and only have one spot for the G5s is again, if you wanna have a national championship, everyone should have an opportunity to play themselves in. Um, and and that is not the case right now. Um, and so I think we should just say, look, ESPN is going to continue to commodify college football. Those of us who enjoy college football can can take a stand and say, you know what, the playoff happens. That's fine. But but the best of college football is is you know yelling at your rival who has a flag up. You know to. Two two doors down, uh, and 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 having a lot of fun at football games, and understanding you know the storylines of these people who are at your alma mater, and 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 so there's so many good things about college football, and I think the playoff, um, if if we give if we give college football to the playoff, uh, we'll never get it back.
1: I I do agree with you on a lot of that. Uh, however, I will let you know that you and I both sound like old men when we talk about that. So you know at the the generation that they want being able to watch football in the future wants playoffs they want all of this kind of stuff so there's i do think there are a lot of negatives associated with it the amount of games that that could possibly be played by these kids without making money that's a negative right the idea that these games are not going to mean as much that's definitely a negative right the alabama lsu game won't mean as much alabama auburn the kick six would not have kept alabama out of a playoff right but on the other hand uh both teams get in. There are more games that matter more towards the end of the season. More fans across the country are interested. And that I see as being uh, a pretty big deal. I I do wonder if eventually we will get away. from Now, I love the bowl system because I love... Um, I, I take that back. I don't love how the bowl system is done because there's a lot of rigging around. But I do love the fact that we do have bowl games on random Tuesdays with Buffalo and whoever right coastal Carolina or whoever that I can sit and watch either in the office or when I'm at home with family over the holidays or whatever I love watching football any kind of football at which it, some people agree disagree I mean I've I've sat at home and watched the spring league uh over the past couple of months so I've, I've I don't enjoy it a whole lot it's not great football but it is football and it makes me feel better uh when I sit there and watch it so there is a lot to to dissect with it and it's you know, I'm torn. I do think there can be some good from it, uh, but there still needs to be way more changes. But, I, you know, my co-host, Chris, he talks a lot about, can we just get it to a point where it sits still for, you know, four or five years? Can we just get somewhere? Because there are sweeping changes, it feels like, every year, whether it's with yeah. the rules or with a team switching conferences or schedule changes or this. Like, can we just can we just set it? Somewhere, Because right now, you know, they're talking about doing away with divisions in some of the other conferences. Uh, I mean, you, obviously, in the Big 12, that's not been an issue. There's only 10 teams. There's no divisions. It's a round robin. But in the SEC, I, I thought it was great. And he said, I, I'm done with it. We've got all these other changes. Just leave that how it is for now. I I would say do away with all the divisions. I'd say, that, have, have you read the, I forget the guy's name, uh, where he talked about doing like a Champions League Type yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw,
4: I saw that today uh, on Twitter. And I think, I think there's just so much political economy in college football oh, that yes. anything like that is not, I mean, and, and here's the thing, five and seven Texas is not getting sent down. I don't care what re- relegation scheme you can think oh, yeah. of in your head. That's not how, that's not how college football has worked. That's not how it's going to work. And yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, a, there's a lot of opportunities there. Again, it, it uh, as in you know life and and public policy it'd be really nice to hit the switch back to zero and just start afresh and you you can't yes. you have to deal with the baggage of the rivalries and the fact that like for as much sense as it doesn't make texas a m and texas are not going to be in the same conference again ever yeah. um there and, are and, and, there are and,
1: contracts that are drawn out notre dame and the acc have a contract that's all the way through 2037 that is absurd like yeah, why do we have uh, yeah. like bowl contracts are done for years and years like why do we have all these things and and yes, if we so I had uh, Ivan Mazel on last week, and we talked about the biggest change uh, that forever kind of destroyed what college football is was the TV revenue deal back in uh, what was it, '84, I think it was Oklahoma and Georgia sued the NCAA for their television rights, and and that shifted everything because it was mm-hmm. not, but it was less than a decade until we got the conference championship games that Roy Kramer, the former commissioner of the SEC, brought in, and. And that, in and of itself, kind of degraded the regular season. Alabama went in at 11-0 and against a, a 9-2 and Florida. Well, Florida, with two losses, would not have been SEC champions. Uh, and yet, here we are. You know, they're playing for an SEC championship game with two losses. And in the past, even a year earlier than that, uh, Alabama would have been in that national championship race no matter what. And and they did end up winning. But, yeah. you know, it, there's... There's all sorts of examples of this if you go back and actually pay attention, and yeah, Ivan really kind of brought it home. He was like, "Yeah, like that's that's when it started," you know, and he's yeah. been covering it since uh, since 1981. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah. And and that's a
4: convincing argument. And I think the biggest, you know, if I was going to try and squeeze a little bit of positivity out of this, which is, you know, always so hard for me, um, one one of the biggest problems, especially in 2020, uh, just kind of came to a head was like the bull opt outs. And again, I don't begrudge a, a 22 year old looking at his future and saying, it's not worth pulling out on my knee to go try and beat Oklahoma in the in the cotton bowl, man. Like that's just not worth it. Um, but, you know, increasing the playoff is going to make some of those new year six games that might've been affected by opt-outs not be. Um, and so I understand that. I think that's, that's good for the sport. Even if there are some, you know, other bigger picture factors that are kind of, Less than desirable about just just saying hey let's do what we're doing but but do it bigger um, again I'm for bull anarchy I'm for competing national championship claims I, I think that we too often demand a satisfying revol- resolution when in reality we don't we don't need one
1: no we don't need one but but uh, the societal shift there must be one there must yeah. be one so it's it's completely ridiculous I have kept you for way longer than I anticipated <laughs> but I certainly appreciate you for doing it if you guys. Uh, Want to go and check him out? He is Parker Fleming. You can find him on Twitter at Stats of War or his website, cfb-graphs.com. Parker, you are the best, brother. Thank you for joining me on Winning Cures Everything
4: today.